there is nothing wrong with your podcatcher. Do not attempt to adjust the feed. We are controlling the bitstream. We control the encoding. We can mispronounce names. We can consume alcoholic beverages. For the next half hour, we will control all that you read and discuss. Go to patreon.com slash sword and laser to pledge support. Hey everyone, welcome to the Sword and Laser. I'm Tom Merritt. And I'm Jenny Colvin. Sword and Laser is a book club, but it's so much more. We bring you author interviews, news from the world of science fiction and fantasy, and awesome discussions from fans just like you. Uh, Veronica Belmont still on maternity leave, doing great, uh, but we're very happy to have Jenny Colvin back on the show. Welcome back, Jenny. Thank you. Thank you for having me. This has been great. Uh, it's been great having you. Uh, remind people where you originate from as our guest host? Well, mostly the Reading Envy podcast. And um, that's all over the world. Mm -hmm. You know, Reading Envy everywhere. You can find it just by searching for that. So uh, come find me, come friend me and follow me. It's great. (laughs) Type it in, into your search. Join us. Uh, What are we drinking? I'm going to start with a lie. I'm just going to be (laughs) transparent about that because I haven't actually drank this yet, Uh, but I'm very excited to go drink it. They just announced it at my favorite boba tea place, my favorite milk tea place. It's Coffee Dalgona, which isn't the Dalgona drink that you see all over TikTok and YouTube. Uh, It is the Dalgona candy after which the, the TikTok YouTube craze drink is named on top of coffee with some delicious milk. So decadent. <laughs> it is. It is. But I, I didn't realize till we were talking right before the show, you've done the, the Dalgona drink. I have. I'm such a sucker for those videos of like copying things to see if they really work. So mm-hmm. I've done it. I've whisked it by hand. I've used my immersion blender, everything I could try. <laughs> yeah, we've, we have done the same. Uh, and it's, it's really delicious. It is. It's very caffeinated. It will fly you to the moon. <laughs> if you're not careful. Uh, yeah. Cause it's, cause you're using like really concentrated amounts of, of instant coffee. Yeah. Um, but it's named after this candy that it tastes like when you, when you add the sugar and the coffee together and whip it, it tastes like this candy called Dalgona, which is why I'm very excited to try the coffee Dalgona at the milk tea place, because that's going to use the actual Dalgona candy in the drink. Well, I hope you report back. <laughs> I will. I will. Absolutely. What are you drinking? Oh, well, it's a lot later here where I am. So I'm drinking some decaf peppermint bark tea. It's actually leftover from Christmas, but it's my favorite tea. And it is actually what you're drinking. So not it a is. lie. <laughs> <laughs> not a lie. <laughs> That's good. That's good. All right. Let's get into the quick burns. Uh, of course, the big news in the past fortnight since we last spoke, uh, Mark and Jan both uh, adding notes about this on our Goodreads. Hugo Awards, Best Novel Candidates out. Actually, all the Hugo Award candidates out. Uh, these will be, of course, announced in December now because of the delayed uh, Worldcon this year. Best Novel Candidates are Black Sun by Rebecca Roanhorse. We mentioned her uh, in the Lammies last week and back again on the Hugo list. The City We Became by N.K. Jemison. Harrow the Ninth by Tamsin Muir, Network Effect by Martha Wells, Piranesi by Susanna Clark, and The Relentless Moon by Mary Robinette Cole. Uh, also of note, Sword and Laser Pick Alatsue by Darcy Little Badger is among the young adult nominees, and The Murderbot Diaries books one through four by Martha Wells, uh, nominated under Best Series. Lots of friends of the show on that list. <laughs> 
Yes, absolutely. Uh, as, as we'll be making clear later in the show, we are going to be reading Network Effect. Uh, and some of you will also want to read all of the series. Yeah. Uh, and we'll, we'll talk a little bit about the strategies there later. But uh, that, Tamsin Muir, of course, uh, is, is a, uh, a pick, former author of the former pick. This is the sequel to the one we read. Uh, and Mary Robinette Cole with the sequel to to one we read as well, Rebecca Roanhorse uh, as well, uh, N.K. Jemison we've read before. Yeah, um, we're just right on track. <laughs> really, Susanna Clark is the only after this month, after next month is done, would be the only one on this on the nominees that we haven't read yet. Hmm. <laughs> no, yeah, I'm I'm I, glad also that they've added that category of best series because so often it's like, do you wait till the last book for that book for that series to get nominated? Right, or, you know, and and there are definitely series that no individual book is the best, but the series is exactly. Uh, and I kind of think of that with Lord of the Rings and movie award nominations, where the three movies are amazing as a trilogy i don't know i do, don't know how i would pick one to be a winner and not the others mm-hmm. well richard says the only good indians by stephen graham jones won the 2020 ray bradbury prize for science fiction fantasy and speculative fiction runners-up were piranesi again by Susanna clark lakewood by megan giddings the city we became by nk jemison and where the wild ladies are by aoko matsuda translated by polly barton this is uh Awarded by the Los Angeles Times uh, and and named after Ray Bradbury, so it's it's essentially the L.A. Times Book Awards uh, speculative fiction category. Hmm. And I guess technically, the only good Indians is definitely in the horror genre. <laughs> I should say, yeah, this is uh, <laughs> science fiction, fantasy, and speculative fiction. Mm-hmm. So you can you can get your horror novels uh, in there. Which is, if somebody's out there like, why haven't I heard this mentioned on Sword and Laser before? Be, that'd kind of be why. Yeah. Uh, Elizabeth pointed out that Lois McMaster Bujold accidentally wrote a novel length installment of her previously novella length Penrick series. <laughs> uh, she wrote, uh, it turned out to be her novel length novella this time. It started as a novella. I swear, uh, length at the moment is about 85,000 words. For your mental calibration, that's about the length of Falling Free or Setaganda. My shortest novel was Ethan of Athos at 63,000. My longest, Mirror Dance at 165,000. The title of this installment in Penric is The Assassins of Thassalon. And timeline-wise, Lois says it takes place two years after the events of The Physicians of Vilnock. Wow. Have you read anything by her? Uh, we have, we've, we've read something, uh, of hers, uh, in the course of doing this show and, and we got to meet yeah. her at, uh, Bacon. I believe, mm. I believe it was Bacon, uh, one year. She's, she's great. And I feel like she might've been the first person who got the series award at the Hugo's, if I'm not mistaken, mm-hmm. it seems like it. Yeah. She's and she, around. uh, she's doing indie e-publications, uh, oh, of the yeah. Penrick series as well. Kind of, kind of took matters into her own hands. I remember talking to her about that. Uh, at the very beginning of her strategy where she's like, yeah, I think I just want to do some of this on my own. I'm going to make up more. seems like I make more money that way. So yeah, good, Smart. good for her. Yeah. She's one of those people I still haven't tried yet. So I need to. Oh yeah. Highly yeah. recommend. Well, Tom Homey says that audio fiction site Serial Box, which is renamed itself Realm, put its Orphan Black sequel out as a podcast for free. And it's narrated by the TV show's original star, which is awesome. Uh, yeah, they uh, just disclosure. They they did pay to advertise the Orphan Black series on Sword and Laser back when it was launched. Uh, so we were kind of squeeing. 
<laughs> that we we got uh, her actual voice on the show. Oh um, man, yeah, that that's a show the, I could probably go back and rewatch before I would go back and listen to the sequel. Cause it's been a while. <laughs> yeah, I need to. I, I've been meaning to go back and rewatch it now that I kind of know where it's going because yeah. I feel like that's the kind of show. If people don't know, it, the idea is that cl- these these clones who are all played uh, by Tatiana Maslany. Uh, are are finding out about each other in the world uh and they sort of cross over and start teaming up and fighting the man and uh it's really good really good really yeah good stuff. she's amazing all right let's move on to bear your sword our feedback from the audience got a tweet from uh jerry perez aka raging threeville uh, who wrote, finished this today. Great audiobook production. Fantastical story that needs to be a television series yesterday. And then uh, added a picture of the cover of The City We Became by N.K. Jemison. It would be a great television series. Yeah, I agree. I'm with you, <laughs> One Jerry. of those ones where the uh, superheroes all stand around in a room and talk to each other. That kind of, uh-huh. yeah. Yeah, 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 exactly. <laughs> Well, Trek says, this is back on that genre discussion again that we were having before. Young adult and new adult are the only marketing-derived genres. I know a lot of people believe that all genres are marketing gimmicks, but it isn't true. With only a couple exceptions, most genres existed before modern marketing, and the few which arose after the type of advertising we associate with contemporary entertainment faced an uphill battle of acceptance because they originated among the unwashed public. The highfalutin gatekeepers always dismiss things which come from the lowly, filthy rabble. In the before times, Trike says, my PhD thesis was on genres, which is why I can state with such certainty, oh, he can state that with such certainty, it began as a focus on film genre, but morphed into all genres. Just to underscore how before it was, the first draft of his paper began before urban fantasy was named. And he says, I'm an old. (laughs) So old. Uh, yeah, I, I actually worked at a bookstore before there was a need for an urban fantasy subcategory in the uh, science fiction and fantasy section. I think I think we would have had a debate about whether Twilight goes in in horror, romance, or sci-fi fantasy had I been working there. I'm oh, assuming yeah. that debate happened. And then if you have young adult, does that also have to get divided into all those categories or are you just put it all on the same shelf. Yeah. Uh, we, in, in the bookstore I worked at, we just young adult was young adult unless it was a few exceptions like CS Lewis, where we dual shelved it. Ah, uh, so you put smart. some in sci-fi fantasy and some in young adult because you knew people were going to look for it there. Um, mm. the Hobbit was a, was another one in, in that arena. I, I would never, uh, attempt to, to argue uh, with Dr. Trike uh, about his <laughs> thesis. But I, I wonder, and may, maybe Trike knows this, I wonder if there was something similar to the term young adult bubbling up from maybe librarians or, or school teachers or something to categorize that before the marketing-derived genre came along. Uh, but maybe not. I don't know. Yeah, I mean, if you think about what you read in school... Like in high school, in particular, it's just literature, right? Like classics that maybe you're not really old enough to really understand. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So that wasn't quite young adult. <laughs> I remember, uh, I, I don't know that they called it young adult, but there were books when I was in elementary school that I was not allowed to read, even though I could read them. <gasps> mm-hmm. And uh, which sounds so Orwellian when I put it that way, but it was <laughs> it was this thing where like I would go over and I would grab like, 
the Hardy Boys or Wind in the Willows or uh, Dr. Doolittle, and I'd start reading them, and teachers would come over and tell me to stop. And I remember our librarian, God bless her, uh, talked to the teachers about it and then went wrote a note to my parents saying, can you authorize your son to read these books? Because he obviously can read them. See, librarians are the true champions. I know. Exactly. <laughs> I think that's probably why then that's the root of my question for Trike is like, yeah, but man, the librarians, they knew, they knew what it was up mm. before that. Uh, from the discord, uh, we have some great conversations happening in there. Uh, this is one between Tessie Dave and Tomahome, uh, which I know is something that many of you will have been wondering about. Tassie Dave says, I expect we will get more author interviews once Veronica finishes her maternity leave. The last one was Dennis C. Taylor of the Bobiverse last July. Tomahome wrote, when does Veronica finish? And Tassie Dave wrote, they never said when. I guess when she has time, which I'd guess would be when her son turns 18. <laughs> Uh, thankfully, no, uh, we do have word that Veronica will be back in June for the, for the June read. So we've got, we've got one more Veronica list month, uh, coming and then, uh, and then we will have the triumphant return of Veronica. And yes, uh, some of it was pandemic related, honestly, the, the lack of interviews in 2020. Um, and then when Veronica went on maternity leave, it just became more difficult to, to coordinate that sort of stuff. But we do have one in the offing. Uh, I think Be- Becky Chambers is on on the docket, uh, and we haven't nailed it down yet. But when her new book is about to come out, uh, we, we're hoping to be able to talk to her. I think is that's going to be in July, so it'd be a year um, since our last one. But that's the scoop, anyway. That's so exciting. I love her. Love yeah, yeah. Becky oh, she's one of my favorites. <laughs> I, I can't wait. I hope we get to talk to her. Well, and then back over on Twitter, you guys really have a multimedia podcast going yeah, on man, here. Yeah, we're everywhere. <laughs> Kenley Newfield just completed House in the Cerulean Sea for At Sword and Laser, a sweet and funny story of love, discrimination, goodness, and magic. Now turning to the luminous dead for something completely different. Hmm, nice. And uh, what a perfect transition, speaking of House in the Cerulean Sea, uh, to move on to our Books of the Month discussion. Uh, before we get to House in the Cerulean Sea, uh, as I mentioned earlier, Network Effect, a Murderbot novel, uh, Murderbot Diaries number five, the first full-length novel in the Murderbot series, is our pick for May. Our May host will be Rob Dunwood of the SMR podcast. And yes, as I mentioned, Adobe product manager, Veronica Belmont coming as our guest host in June. <laughs> uh, but Rob Dunwood is going to be our, our host in May. Uh, he's an IT guy. Network effect is perfect. Uh, but choosing this, as I knew it would, has caused a lot of debate about whether you must read the four novellas that are prequels. They're not really prequels because they were written first. They would precede network effect in the series. Yeah. And and what are you going to say about that? Well, what I said in our, our book briefing was I, I did a lot of I did a lot of personal soul searching about this. <laughs> uh, and I looked up what people were saying online about that. And the general consensus was the publisher calls it standalone. So it's not like the like they're discouraging you. Like if you want to read it, it, it was written to standalone. Everyone agrees you're going to enjoy it more if you read the first four novellas, but you still would enjoy it even if you didn't. Some people disagree that you'll still enjoy it, but everybody agrees that you'll enjoy it more if you read the first four novellas. And if you didn't have time 
for all four of the novellas, I noticed more than one person said that the second would, if you had to pick just one, would be the one they would choose. Interesting. I wonder what it is about that second one. I don't remember them each individually that well. So um, I wanted also to make a librarian note that if you have access to Hoopla through your public library, the four novellas are available in audio there. The novel isn't, but at least you could knock those novellas out in the shower or something. Yeah. Oh, that's good. I do have Hoopla uh, with the LA Public Library, so that's great. And the narrator is great. Oh, good. Mm -hmm. Yeah, maybe I'll do that. Um, I'm actually actually for the purposes of the show going to read Network Effect first, Ah. uh, which I'm, I'm a heretic. (laughs) <laughs> I, I don't get caught up too much in in book order unless I know for sure that it's not going to work, right? Unless I, I'm told like, no, 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 you won't you won't understand what's going on unless you you read the other ones. I feel like we re, we we sort of intentionally write stories out of order sometimes. So if the author is telling me it's okay to read it out of order, I'm cool with that. I know some people like just chafe at that idea though. Yeah, I think with these, they're a little bit more episodic than that. And then the focus of the novel feels a little bit different. So mm-hmm. I think you'll be okay. I think you'll yeah. enjoy it. It's to me, and this is, and I'm just going to further confirm that I am an apostate and a heretic uh, <laughs> and a Philistine. Uh, but it's like some people who, you know, who are younger than me start with Phantom Menace in Star Wars, right? And, right. and then and then proceed through some people do the machete order because they're like oh that's a cooler way to reveal the story and some people do release order uh and i don't think any of those is particularly wrong uh i think the machete order probably is preferable to starting with the phantom menace uh, but uh you know i saw them in release order because i saw them as they came out did you do machete order with or without number one? That's the real question. <laughs> I did machete order with number one because okay. I'm a glutton and seek a secret completionist underneath all of this. Well, that's what I did too, because I didn't want to miss anything, but I just, I don't think I missed anything I, or I wouldn't have. <laughs> I really want that edit of, uh, cause there's the, uh, Topher Grace edit. Yes. Apparently that takes like, I don't know, 20 minutes of Phantom Menace or something. Uh, cause I'm like, yeah, there's important stuff in there. It's just surrounded by the rest of the movie. Right. <laughs> anyway, uh, network effect, a murder bot novel. That will be our may pick. And Rob Dunwood of SMR podcast will be my guest host. Excellent. Shall we talk about the house in the cerulean sea by TJ Clune? Yes. I can't remember who said it, but it has been a joy and a delight. <laughs> Oh, this, this, this book, uh, we, we should read some of the, uh, some of the, uh, comments about this, but I, I just truly loved, truly loved every minute of reading this book. It was so much fun. Me too. And, you know, I don't often reread books, but I actually read the print again and listened to the audio. So now I've read it three times. I feel like I must be the expert. Yeah, let's let's start with some uh, reviews. Uh, we have some from Goodreads, some from Discord. Uh, you 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 said you found an interesting review of the house in the Cerulean Sea on Goodreads, right? Yeah, and you know, I wonder if this might be that same Adobe product manager, someone named Veronica. Huh. She said this book brought me so much joy. It's sweet without being saccharine, inclusive on many different levels, and joyful while also touching on important issues like discrimination. She listened to the audiobook, and this is one of those instances where I think the performance really added to my overall enjoyment of the story. And she says, I want more from this world. That's definitely wow. how I felt too. Like, this is it? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
Yeah, I know. Because it feels like it's set up for more adventures. Oh, it uh, could be so easily. And more stories. Yeah. That's so funny. Um, I got uh, a text message from a friend of mine uh, that said Cerulean C was so good in all caps. And her name is Veronica, too. Weird. Yeah. What a coincidence. Uh, Carl, in, I think this is in our Discord. Uh or no, this would be in Goodreads, wrote, I was a bit skeptical about the book at the start, thinking it a bit childish. Man, was I glad I looked past that. What a wonderful story. Victory. <laughs> and slash dev slash T, you think maybe from Discord. Yeah, I think uh, this one was a Discord. Says, just finished, and this book is a perfect case in point for why I love the sword and laser. I mentioned before that I voted against this pick every time. I wouldn't have picked this up in a hundred years, but it was a great read. And as someone else said, utterly charming. And then uh, Granny Weatherwax in Discord said, really enjoyed it. It was a cozy listen as an audiobook. I appreciated the science fa- fantasy setting, both the vague dystopian part and the Cerulean Sea. I liked how the characters were generally kind and made in-character decisions. I also appreciated that it had a plot, which resolved <laughs> several other feel-good science fiction novels from recent years. Had wonderful settings and characters, but not much plot. Uh, this had all three. So true. Now, there is an epilogue at the end, right? And there have been some novels where people get angry when there's an epilogue. How'd you feel about that part? Well, I was doing the audiobook, so it just kind of rolled into it, right? Yeah. Um, and I, I think that does help a little bit when you don't feel like, oh, that was the end of the story. Uh, and now it, what? That now there's more? It does have a little bit of a tacked on feel sometimes. Uh, but I, I wanted so I so much wanted to be in this world more that I was grateful. I was happy. I was like, yes, thank you. Uh, yeah. e- even just another minute is wonderful. And we can spoil things in this section, yes. right? Well, we should give the spoiler warning. Uh, but yeah, we are now in spoiler territory. So if you haven't read The House in the Cerulean Sea and you do not want to be spoiled, you might want to press pause. So it's the part at the very end in the epilogue <laughs> with the Yeti kid. Yeah. I want to meet him on the page. I, you know, want to see him hang out with the forest sprite because obviously they will be best friends. Of course. Yeah. <laughs> and I just, I just think that part is fascinating. One of the most delightful things that TJ Klune did uh, was create comically hilarious and believable childs, children. <laughs> uh, every one of them, I saw a bit of a, of a niece or a nephew or, or even just a friend's child. Uh, and I'm like, oh yeah, no, that's how kids that age act. Uh, including Lucy. Oh where, yeah. Where you, he did such a, a great magic trick of making you a little scared of Lucy until you got to know him and realized, oh, that wasn't scary. That was just, you know, Lucy saying stuff. And there are so many, I've had so many interactions with kids where you're like, whoa, this kid's a lot. And then you realize, oh no, that's just, that's just the kid front when they meet a new person, you know, and they, and some, some kids do that. It was so realistic to me. I know. And I think that's why I really enjoyed the audio this time around, because I think in the print, I think more of the scary comes across because you're Mm -hmm. seeing, oh no, what's the main guy's name? (laughs) Arthur? Oh, wait, no, Arthur's the uh, uh, Linus. <laughs> Linus. You're seeing his fear more than you're seeing the child, but in mm. the audio, it comes across. It's like, it's a six-year-old. <laughs> yeah, right. Can't be that scary, can right. it? Right, so it yeah. seems more ridiculous, and I, I liked that part of it, really. I think Chauncey may be one of my favorite characters of all time. <sighs> He's, He's just so, so pure, you know? <laughs> and just and never wavers from his dream. And 
that little part of us that is obsessive about any kind of fandom of anything that other people are like, okay, I guess that's kind of weird that you like that. <laughs> it's like, that's Chauncey. Chauncey is like, like, and, and I love how Linus comes around from thinking like, and, and I don't know, don't know how it came across in print, but to me, Chauncey feels like the one he's least afraid of. Right. Yeah. Because even though he's a monster under the bed, he's, he's so, he's so harmless from the beginning that I fe- feel like he, he, stops being afraid of Chauncey very quickly and becomes annoyed with him. And the transformation is not from being worried or, or intimidated by the child, but getting to, to know and accept and love They're like, well, you know, instead of like, it's so weird. He thinks he wants to be a bellhop who wants to be a bellhop, you know, and he's never going to be a bellhop. Look at him to like, I love his dream. I love that. That's what he wants. And I'm so glad that the hotel owner in the town is giving him a chance. Ugh, that was so unexpected, but that was really lovely. And I think like, it's Chauncey that wakes him up his first night there, right? And so it kind of starts as the monster under the bed, and he's just calling him for breakfast or whatever. Yes, yes, right. <laughs> There's so many good little moments like that. Yeah, the 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 whole family aspect, and I, I love I love a found family story. Mm-hmm. Uh, in 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 reading glasses podcast terms, it, it's in my wheelhouse. Uh, and, and this is, this is entirely a found family story. Like uh, every character that you care anything about, uh, is, is becoming part of this found family on the Island. And it's all because of Arthur. Arthur has taught them how to love each other and how to listen to each other. Like they've all figured out how to talk to, uh, Theodore. (laughs) And so even Linus can talk to him by the end. Yeah. Yeah. It's so nice. I really like the magic trick aspect of of how we go from thinking one thing about this world to uh, that, you know, the house in the Cerulean Sea is just going to be a magical realm that's separate from everything else uh, to integrating it into the world. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, I, I didn't expect that. I didn't expect the town. I didn't expect the mayor to be on their side. Uh, I, I guess if you want to be cynical, you might call that deus ex machina or, or, or unbelievable. But uh, it is true in life that unexpected people can be your ally sometimes. Uh, so I, I took that as that. Uh, and and so once I saw that, I'm like, oh, well, I guess they won't always be banned from the town. But it, it kind of went the opposite direction. They They became welcomed there. Yeah. And the record store guy, the first one anyway, he was just like, whatever, man. And then, of course, the other guy tried to exercise Lucy, which was terrifying. I mean, if you think about it in the context of what actually happens to people who are different, um, but they handled it so well, you know. Yeah, that that's the other thing, right, is is like the challenge that TJ Klune set up for himself uh, to be like, all right, one of the characters I'm going to redeem is the literal antichrist. (laughs) But he's going to be the one that people treat like they treat people who are different from them. Right. So it's this other lesson instead. Yeah. And well, and, and, and to, to, to the, the reader too, to be like, all right, can, can you be comfortable with the redemption of the actual antichrist? Like we're, we're we're not, they never make any bones about who his father is. They're like, Oh, maybe it's not the devil. And they never make it. They're like, Oh yeah, no, he's the antichrist. Like mm-hmm. we're not, we're but not pretending we don't get to pick not. our families. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And I, I thought that was great to be like, can, cause I think there's a wider, there's a wider thing there of even the people you hate might not be as bad as you think. 
mm-hmm. uh, if you give them a chance. Yeah, and let them find their own hobbies and mm-hmm. let them build relationships with others. And- yeah, give them support. Give them, uh, it, you know, it's. I think the other implication here, and it's not painted as as uh, starkly, is that Lucy would have been a problem without without Arthur. Yes. I think, you know, Lucy would have gone bad and would have been the doom of the world, <laughs> you know, like, uh, and they, they, they sort of didn't, didn't hammer that point home, but there's the implication that like, yeah, he could do some really bad stuff. Yeah. There's a reason they're all separate over on this Island. So what about the Arthur Linus relationship? Yeah. So I was, uh, I, I, I sort of saw that coming, you know, uh, fairly early on, uh, (laughs) but it it was brought about so gently and beautifully, uh, that I didn't mind knowing it was going to happen. It was just that fun of when, when, when is it going to happen? Yeah. I love that part. And then the reason that the mayor is coming back a lot Mm -hmm, is mm -hmm. she's with Mrs. Chapel. Oh yeah. There's that reveal at the end where you're like, Oh, (laughs) uh, Arthur's not the only one who made a love connection. Look at that. That's awesome. I actually really loved that part where Linus goes back home because he thinks he's supposed to mm-hmm. and, you know, his neighbors trying to set him up. <laughs> yeah. 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 And his neighbors just like the antithesis of everyone that he wants to be around. And, uh, but I like that he still kind of followed what he thought his life was supposed to be before he figured out that he wasn't supposed to be there anymore. I, I think there's a good lesson there too, of, uh, you you shouldn't just do something because other people are telling you. You you need to follow through and learn for yourself. And I, I, there are a couple of reasons he had to go back. One is to learn for himself, to to have the contrast of like, oh, I'm not the same person I was when I left here. This doesn't work anymore. But also, he was able to save the orphanage. Yeah. By doing that, and and that was important too. It's interesting because the the part that I didn't remember from the first time I read this book is it seems like if you read between the lines that he has written some kind of report that might actually end dichemy across the way, like completely like this idea of policing magical children yeah. or magical youth, I guess. Um, I, I somehow hadn't really caught on to that in my first read of the book. And um, I liked that he's subversive in the end. In the well, and I think um oh and she gave us her name right at the end, and now I can't remember it. The gum chewing uh woman uh who's who's extremely upper management's kind of doorkeeper. Uh oh, ha- I don't remember it. She comes back down uh to to Linus's level at the very end and whispers something to him and gives him a kiss on the cheek. And I felt like that was when he made the connection of like, oh, I can hand this report to her. Now I know I know. I know what to do. Ah, I still, I missed that somehow. Yeah, that makes sense. Well, uh, we have a few more pieces of uh, commentary uh, from folks in the audience. For instance, Lisa said, I'm going to miss the kids now that I'm done with the story. Each of them affected me in their own way. But my two favorites are Chauncey and Theodore. I'm totally with you, Lisa, (laughs) especially on Chauncey. Though for reals, all of them are my favorites, but I am weird and I decided most can figure out how to fit into normal society. So these two would have the hardest time. My description of the children who would probably be okay in the real world, Lucy was the funniest and most raw, honest in that mommy, why does that lady have ankles like an elephant and why can't I just set this whole place on fire kind of way (laughs) while just surfing between innocence and knowing just exactly what he is saying. 
Talia in her, do I need to cut a B and this is how I will do it? Diagrams kind of way. <laughs> uh, Fee in that understated hippie tree hugging way. Zoe shows us just exactly how this can be done. Sal in his big slash small intimidating yapping big lug pansy intellect worker bee dichotomies way. Uh, compared to the two that would have the hardest time, Chauncey, who is so completely not people shaped and desperately wants to take care of others in a very humble manner, and Theodore, our now-known languages-speaking yet most empathetic person. I can't even. The narration by Daniel Henning was top-notch. I loved all these children, Chauncey and Theodore, though they are my soul children. <laughs> <laughs> so sweet. <laughs> would, you, uh, would you adopt? Is there a child that, that you, would, you would choose as your favorite, or, or if you could, you could adopt them to help them, would you? I you think Sal. Yeah. 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 I like dogs and I like kids. Mm-hmm. And Sal's <laughs> and, you know, both. I could, I could help him with his writing, maybe. I don't know. Oh, right. Because he is the, <laughs> the great writer. Yeah. Yeah. He just needed a little confidence. And, you know, Linus really connected with him. Yeah. He, because he, he read out, he memorized his writing, actually. Yeah. yeah. That was impressive. Well, and then Swarbs says, Swarbs, what a great name. I'm almost tempted to dip into fanfic for this one. It would be great fodder for sort of slice of life stories. Talia entering a garden competition or Chauncey's first day as a real bellhop, something like that. There could have been another hundred pages of that sort of stuff in the book and I'd have read it happily. Now I will say, please write those things and send them to me. I will read them. (laughs) (laughs) I don't even know where to look for fanfic anymore. So if this exists already, can someone please tell us? Yes, Warbs, if you find that, let us know. uh, Because... I would love to read Chauncey's first day as a bellhop. Uh, <sighs> that would be amazing. And, I, be and so there good. are so many opportunities for stories. I, I mean, TJ Klune may have plans. Who knows? Uh, we don't know. Uh, but, but, you know, short of that, uh, some good fanfic would, would be awesome. Definitely. Well, I, uh, I suppose we haven't given a balanced take on the house in the Cerulean sea because we both loved it so much. Uh, so did Veronica and, uh, I I didn't really, this is one of the rare times where I didn't see a lot of negative feelings about it. Uh, Almost every book, you know, appeals to everybody differently and we get some negatives and some positives, but this would seem to be majority positive. Yeah. I think most of the people who it wasn't their kind of thing knew it maybe from, or decided it from the cover and just really didn't participate. Self-selected themselves out of it. Yeah. It was interesting how many people read some of the backup books that were in the and they were like well actually i'm glad this one won because i ended Mm. up liking it more and i feel like you know same i started one of the others today and i think this was the best of the four so i think the voters were right (laughs) well and and we heard from carl uh and dev t uh earlier about that exact thing where they they both took a chance which is the whole point of sword and laser is like expose yourself to something that you might not have read otherwise and it paid off so awesome Lesson learned, I guess. <laughs> uh, and thank you, Jenny, for uh, stepping in and guest hosting. Really appreciate it. This was so much fun. Yes, thank you for having me. If folks want to find more Jenny Colvin, where should they go? Just go to readingenvy.com. It'll link you to everything. Our show is currently entirely funded by our patrons. Thank you to all the folks who back our show. And if you would like to support the show, head on over to patreon.com slash sword and laser. You can also support the show by buying books through our links. Find links to the books we talk about and some of our favorites at swordandlaser.com slash picks. Please review us in the podcast app of your choice. 
Send us an email, feedback at swordandlaser.com. Our website is swordandlaser.com. We're on Instagram and Twitter at swordandlaser. And we have a Discord and a Goodreads at goodreads.com. You can find us there as well. Until next time, good reading, everyone. (laughs) Bye.